Matt. Hi. Welcome to the CJB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, rookie camp is underway. So we'll hear from a couple offensive linemen, Jeff Gray and Drew Desjardins from rookie camp. Thanks to Bob Irving. We're going to learn about baton twirling. Yes, it's a sport and it's very intense. Plus, we'll talk to Dan Lambert, the head coach of Canada's under-18 hockey team, going to the Helenka Gretzky Cup. He's from Manitoba, just hired to the job. You'll hear that on the podcast. Rookie camp began today on a really miserable afternoon, to be honest, in Winnipeg. Voice of the Blue Bombers, Bob Irving, braved the conditions. He's seen worse. And he talked to offensive lineman Jeff Gray, went to the University of Manitoba, was drafted in 2017 by the Bombers, but tried his luck in the NFL, eventually joined the team last year, played a few games, so he's still technically a rookie. And uh, he was asked about the long layoff since he's been on the football field. Yeah, it has been longer than I'm used to from when I last played real football because even I got in for a couple plays there at the end of year last year. But it's been a long time since I've had pads on and really be going. So, I mean, it's not like I'm nervous or apprehensive about it, but it just feels good to get back into it. Uh, a little bit at the end of year definitely helped me because the playbook is, is, for the most part, the same. So... I feel like I'm coming in with a lot of knowledge, so it's not like I'm coming into the system for the first time. So I, I think I used my offseason well, and uh, just feels good to get back out here. It's really, really good to get the pads back on. Did you prepare any differently in terms of weight and strength and that sort of thing? Um, not really. I mean, you're going to try and be in your best shape no matter where you're playing. Uh, definitely prepare a little bit differently, like scheme-wise, here versus when I was in the NFL because the offense is a bit different. But either way, you're just going to try and be in your best shape as strong as possible, as fast as possible. It doesn't really matter. There's a real spot open there on that O-line, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not worried about that. I'm just trying to play my best. And last year, with the way things ended down south, I'm not. I just I don't know if I necessarily played my best. I, don't, I didn't do anything that I regret, but it's just, you know, it didn't necessarily end on the best note, and I uh, just want to get into training camp and really feel really good about what I put on film. Yeah. So kind of a new outlook this year based uh, on last year when you came no, back it's from just, the No, it's just good to get another opportunity because that's the thing with football is your opportunities are always limited, and you never know when it will come to an end. So just go into it with a fresh attitude every year and do my best at training camp. Is there really any point in trying to figure out where you fit in? Just no, mental, the, mental energy yeah, it, I'd rather just go to bed 30 minutes early than sit up and worrying about things that I don't make that decision. So uh, really all you can do is play your best and uh, learn from what you can. So yeah, I want to play good in the game for myself and for the team. So that will hopefully get you on a roster and get you in a spot where you want. But at the end of the day, that's well out of your control. That is Jeff Gray, offensive lineman for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And speaking of... Offensive lineman for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Drew Desjardins was their first pick in the draft just a couple weeks ago. Fourth overall. Was inked to a contract yesterday, and Bob Irving got to talk to him as well. Well, first of all, welcome to Winnipeg. I guess uh, we didn't roll out the good yeah, weather for you. Not the it? nicest weather in the world, but uh, still in the football field. That's what matters. Now, you were in New York earlier this week, weren't you? Yes, I was in New York uh, la- yesterday. Yesterday okay. afternoon did a workout. Just a one-day workout? Yeah, it was just like a, under an hour, a couple drills. How many NFL workouts have you had? Uh, I was at the Giants minicamp a couple weeks ago and the Steelers last weekend and then the, the Jets yesterday. Yeah, no contract offer? No contract, no. I'm signed here. What, what did they tell you at those camps? 
Uh, I got good feedback. It, mostly it was just the teams weren't ready to make roster moves to, to kind of slide me in type thing. Yeah. And coming here then was the obvious move? Yeah, the obvious move, and I was super excited. It's, it's hard to kind of realize you got that at the end of the road, you know what I mean? If you got no contract comes up, you're still coming here, and you get to still get to play football. It's yeah. nice. Take us back to the day you were drafted. Your right. thoughts on being a Blue Bomber? I was crazy excited. I was in my hotel room with uh, Sam Thomason from Laval. We were both watching the draft on his laptop, kind of just by ourselves, yeah. waiting for the phone to ring type thing. It was obviously not the traditional draft day experience, but it was still interesting. Did you think you'd go that high? Yeah, I honestly didn't think I'd fall past the Blue Bombers. I had a real good feeling about this place from the start. Uh, the interview with Kyle Walters and uh, Coach O'Shea, Went super well. I had a good feeling for sure. Do you think you can earn a starting spot? Uh, it's tough to tell right now. I don't know. Uh, I got to get into training camp, obviously get the playbook down, and from there it's just go. Yeah. But that's got to be, I of guess, everybody's a, goal. Why not, it's, eh? it's everybody's goal, right? You're fighting for spots. That's what training camp's for. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things they like about you, I know, is your toughness. Do you consider yourself to be a tough, hard-nosed player? Uh, that's kind of the reputation that's going around now. So, yeah, I like that. You don't want to be the soft football player, that's that's for sure. Hockey Canada named its coaches for the national junior team and Canada's national men's summer under-18 team for the World Juniors and Holinka Gretzky Cup, respectively, yesterday. And the man tasked with leading the under-18 team is Dan Lambert, who is originally from Manitoba and joins us now on the CJOE Sports Show. Good evening, Dan. Welcome to the show. Good good afternoon. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Where are you right now? I'm in Spokane, actually. Okay. How's the how's the weather there? Um, it's not bad. It was 80 on the weekend. It's oh. uh, but it's it's cooled off last few days though. Do you miss Manitoba winters? Uh, <laughs> well, no, not that much. I have to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh. But I, I, you know, I do appreciate the fact that I am from there and uh, and I've lived through them. But you've also bounced around a, a lot. So let's let's, I, I guess, go back before we talk about what where you're going here in the summer. Let's go back to the start of your, I guess, hockey career. Where was the first place you played hockey? Uh, <clears throat> well, do you mean junior? Do you mean pro? Like when you or... were five years old, even. When I was five, I played in St. Malo, Manitoba, which is where I'm from. Uh, and then I moved on to Steinbeck, uh, played there for in their minor hockey system, played one year in St. Anne's, Manitoba. Uh, and then I went and played one year of high school hockey in War Road, Minnesota. And why did you go to Minnesota? Um, I didn't have a place to play midget hockey, to be honest with you, and, and wasn't sure uh, at that point in time. I thought I was probably going to maybe go or I was deciding on whether I was going to go to college hockey or not. So I uh, went one year more road and, uh, and then decided to go to the Western Hockey League. And so you joined the Swift Current Broncos, and uh, that team was that team uh, involved in the, in the bus crash? Yes, that was uh, our first year in Swift Current. Uh, I was part of that team <clears throat> that we had the bus accident, and uh, yeah, very, uh, very tragic. Was uh, I hate to maybe just bring this up cold, but uh, the the Humboldt Broncos incident from last year. What was what was that like as a member of the Swift Current Broncos? You weren't on the bus with Swift Current, but did uh, what was that like as someone who went through it before? Yeah, it brought back a lot of uh, a lot of hard, 
hard memories, to be honest with you. You know, just um, knowing what the the players, the the the, the families, what the town, um, and with Humboldt, it was uh, it was the whole country was mourning, maybe the whole world. So yeah, there was a lot of hard memories, and uh, but somehow, some way, you know, we made it through um, in Swift Current, and uh, Humboldt is finding a way as well. And how important was being able to play hockey through the grief that resulted from that for you? Well, for for me personally, um, you know, not being on the bus, um, there was a lot of guilt and everything else. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it was important for us to get back out there. And, and um, I, I think we probably became one of the closest teams I ever played on. So that was very important. And you ended up going to uh, Quebec. That's where you were drafted. How would you, I guess, classify your pro hockey career after a fairly successful junior career? Well, I was uh, I was a small defenseman uh, in an era where not a lot of small defensemen got an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League. I was fortunate enough to at least get a cup of coffee and and then have a pretty good minor league and European career. So. Um, I think I, I felt like I, I did what I could with what I had. So seeing how maybe smaller players get by now, do you feel like you were just kind of bored at the wrong time? No, I, I actually, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's a great game today. Um, it was a good game back when I played as well, but um, I think it's great get, that smaller players and skilled players uh, get more opportunity. So to look back on your pro career obviously you spent a tiny bit of time in the nhl but time in the ahl you spent time in the ihl you played overseas what was it like to be able to almost see a lot of the world while playing hockey it was um well to this day it's probably some of our my family's you know best memories is i have three daughters and when they talk about their childhood they talk about uh, living in California on the beach and in Germany and, and uh, experiencing that European-type um, lifestyle for a number of years. So they really, uh, I think they enjoyed it. And when did you uh, make the decision after you retired from pro hockey that you wanted to get into coaching? Or did you know before you retired that you wanted to get into coaching? Yeah, I mean, I, I had an idea. I, I dabbled with a few things before I retired um, and realized in a hurry that I just, um, it, it, that was my passion. That was my love. So um, as soon as I, well, with about a year or two left of playing, I started making phone calls and trying to recreate contacts in North America to see if there was uh, any way or anybody that was interested in my services. And I, I lucked out. So you, uh, you started with the Kelowna Rockets, right? That's correct. Yes. And then, uh, so you started as an assistant, then as a head coach uh, and then I guess, what did you take from that experience that led you to spending some time in the Buffalo Sabres organization a few years later? Well, I mean, you know, just working with young players and, and uh, you know, Kelowna has a great, great organization, uh, an organization that typically sees a lot of success. And, and I was fortunate enough to learn from guys, you know, like Ryan Huska and Kim Dillabaugh that are, uh, you know, now coaching, one's a goalie coach, the other one's an assistant coach in Calgary, um, and learning from them, learning from just how they run things, how they do things, and uh, and then I got an opportunity when Ryan moved on. I uh, was very fortunate to have a, a very good hockey team, and we won the championship, which opened the door to 
have an opportunity with the Buffalo Sabres. So you, you go there as an assistant, then you, you're a head coach for the AHL team in Rochester. Uh, didn't last probably as long as you would have liked it to? <laughs> no. No, it didn't. You know, it was one of those things where um, obviously ownership wasn't happy with the way things were going and, and decided to make uh, some changes, and, and I was part of those changes. So the, today they uh, announced the hiring of Ralph Kruger, who's also originally a Winnipegger. Do you, have you ever crossed paths with him? I have actually. Yeah. I know Ralph a little bit. I had a couple conversations with him in the past and uh, <clears throat> I was really happy with the fact that they hired him. I think he's going to do a great job there. So when you, what was, I guess the timeline between when you were let go as the head coach of the Americans to getting another chance at WHL with Spokane? So it literally, I guess before I was let go, it was, you know, everybody kind of senses um, that there's, going to be changes and everything else. So Spokane contacted me and asked me if I, if I did get let go, if I would consider coming here. And, and uh, so I, I told him at that point in time, if it happened, I certainly would, uh, would consider it. And sure enough, it was probably a week later that I got let go. So I, uh, so they called me right away. And um, I think within a week I was, I was uh, becoming the head coach of Spokane. And I guess adjusting to American life wasn't a problem because you had already been in with in the U.S. with Rochester and Buffalo. Yeah, that's right. I mean, our you know we have three daughters. Two of them were born in the U.S. We've lived in the U.S. quite a bit um, in the last, I guess, twenty five years. So right. it wasn't that big of an adjustment. And it probably wasn't in the in the beginning either. Really, was it? No, no, no. Life in the U.S. is uh, not a whole lot different than Canada, other than depending on where you are, the winters possibly. Man, the, just the exchange rate, I guess, is the only thing when you're traveling back to Canada right now. It's not. It's great if you're an American right now, I guess, but not so good if you're a Canadian. <laughs> that, that's right, yeah. But there was a time it was almost even. So. Yeah, that's true. So uh, this year with Spokane, you get to round three of the uh, WHL playoffs. You, you lost to Vancouver. How would you... Uh, classify your season a pretty good success yeah you know what our, our season I thought our second half was really good um we had a, we had some injuries throughout the first half which didn't allow us to maybe reach our full potential for the whole season but the second half was really good uh playoffs um you know we we had some tough opponents in Portland and then Everett and uh and uh, that maybe got us with a few more injuries and, uh, and then Vancouver had their way with us and beat us in five, but overall, yeah, we were real happy with, with how things went. And to be tapped now as the head coach of the under 18 summer team, how big of a deal is that for you? Well, um, first of all, I, I was lucky enough to represent Canada a few, couple times as a player and, and uh, also as a coach for the U 17. So it's, I, I was very, very, I'm excited and and I feel very, you know, uh, I I guess, you know, being a Canadian, you always love representing your country. And uh, I was thrilled when I was when I was chosen to uh, with that that with that task. So how does this change your summer plans? Well, (laughs) there's going to be a little bit of work involved, I guess, and it certainly changes a few things. But, you know, you're the nice thing is, is you get to work with a lot of great hockey minds and opportunity to get better and to work with some real good young players and so what does uh, I guess what does the next couple months look like for you then 
Yeah, so we have a, we have a, I guess it's a coaches conference. We get together for a few, uh, for a weekend, I think it is, three or four days where we sit down and, and kind of, they give us a bunch of different ideas of, of how this thing is going to go. Um, gives us an opportunity to get to know our coaches on a personal level. Um, and then from then on, uh, you know, you're, you've probably weekly, you'll, we'll have phone calls discussing different things, different job um, <clears throat> tasks that guy, coaches are going to have, who's going to run the power play, those types of things and uh, find out everybody's strengths and weaknesses and then, and then go from there. Well, Dan, I appreciate your uh, time tonight. Uh, thank you very much for that. And uh, best of luck this summer and going forward. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Now on the CGOB Sports Show, we like to shine a light on local athletes of any and all sports, including the ones you probably haven't thought about before, which brings us to baton twirling. This is not the first time we've talked about baton twirling on the show. It is the second time. It takes center stage at Investors Group Athletic Center. Gak! This weekend, International Cup qualifier, Alicia Strawn, technical chair of Manitoba Baton Twirling, joins the show now. I'm curious, Alicia, how did you get involved in baton twirling? Wow. Um, so I started baton at the age of five, and it was at a local community center, um, Crestview Community Center in St. James. And um, my mom actually took me to sign up for a tap dancing class, but the tap dancing class was full. And so um, the next table beside tap dancing was baton twirling. And um, that's really how I got involved in it. And I've been involved in it ever since. What was it about it at first that hooked you in as a kid? I think what I, what I really enjoyed was the uniqueness of the sport. And, um, and, and to this day, um, you know, I've been involved now for a very long time. I still, um, I really feel like uh, there's so many possibilities of, skills and um, skills that you can do with the baton. And it's just very challenging sport. Um, and I think allows you to really progress sort of like individually based on what you like to do too. So I think that's what I was attracted to and what still kept me um, in the sport. To those who may not have ever witnessed baton twirling before, obviously I would suggest go look it up, but to those that haven't, <laughs> how would you describe it to people? So I, I often describe baton as a mix of three activities. It's it's baton twirling, of course, the manipulation and use of, of the actual in, uh, equipment, um, as well as dance and as well as sort of gymnastics. So that there's a mix between these three um, activities when you when you watch the sport um, and that you it's important to have sort of a foundation in, in each of them, I think, um, in order to progress. However... Um, what I really also enjoy about baton is that, you know, we, um, it, it is baton twirling first. So I think the importance of being able to manipulate the baton and do different things um, with it is really what's paramount and what's most important. So, um, so I think, uh, yeah, I think that's just how I would describe it with people who are watching. Because it takes a, just an amazing amount of coordination to do it all, right? Absolutely. Um, it, it, you definitely need to have lots of coordination. Um, uh, and I think Baton really um, develops that hand-eye coordination quite a bit. Um, but also, you know, you need to develop an ear for, for music as well. We use lots of um, different pieces in Baton. And once you get to a certain level, you know, you select your own music. So you also have to be quite artistic. And I think that's what 
um, uh, people really don't know about it. It is, is quite technical, but then there's also a very artistic side of well as well of the sport. How physically exerting is it? It's extremely, uh, it's extremely physically exerting. And I think, um, you know, we've had uh, a few athletes, you know, who retired for a few years and have come back. And I think when they do come back, it's, um, you know, it's a little bit of a, a learning curve in terms of um, the, the orientation of your body. Um, you know, there's lots of spinning and turning in baton as well. So, um, so getting used to that. But I think also just a lot of stamina. You need to be able to um, to perform um, and not only, you know, have the strength to t- toss the baton high and do lots of gymnastics underneath it, but um, also stamina to get through routines as well. So I it's kind of a mix. I think baton, when I also am explaining, I'd like to, you know, most people know figure skating and know what a free skate and figure skating looks like. So it's the same idea. You have a program that's, you know, to music um, and you have to interpret that music. So not only do you have to do it, but you have to make it look easy doing it at the same time because you need to have a theme and be artistic and, and smile and or project some type of emotion as well as doing all the technical elements. How high are you tossing the baton? You know, um, we—that's that, a very good question. Um, so, like the competition that we have coming up, which I know will get to you, but um, it's going to be held at Investors Group Athletic Center at the University of Manitoba, and um, our high-performance athletes can can hit that ceiling pretty, uh, you know, with pretty easily. Um, you know, but still, it's but they do have to have some effort, but. Uh, um, you know, so it is, uh, you do need quite a, a high ceiling uh, uh, to to do baton, um, to see it at its at its fullest, I think, to, to see it at um, its highest level, I guess. And, um, um, but, you know, we do do a lot of, um, of our local competitions in high school gyms, school gyms, so they adjust to, to that height. Um, and it's still quite beautiful. There's still so many things that you can do without a high ceiling to baton, so, you yeah. You alluded to this, the International Cup qualifier coming up this long weekend. How many twirlers will be there? Good. So we're expecting approximately 100 um, athletes um, from six different provinces who are going to be coming to compete um, this weekend. And they're all looking to earn a spot on Team Canada to uh, represent Canada at the 2019 International Cup, which will be held in Limoges, France this summer in August. And... um, and there are a variety of events, so um, there, it's uh, there, yeah. There's a few different events that, that you'll be able to watch if you want to come and watch. Um, there are not just single baton events, but uh, we also have three baton events, two baton events, so full routines with three batons, manipulating, juggling, tossing up, doing things underneath it um, of, uh, of of the baton. So that's really beautiful, as well as um, artistic events. One's called artistic twirl. Um, that's everyone uses the same piece of music, time piece of music, and um, and you interpret it um, and and perform to it, uh, and also artistic pairs. So you also see pairs events um, with uh, with two uh, either two women, two men, or mixed pairs. That's um, that's how we have it in our sport, as well as group. So you'll see group events as well, six to eight or um, ten and over of of groups, and then um, so top three groups in each category go as well as uh, the top six finishers in each of the divisions. And we have, which I really enjoy about international cup is that um, 
it's a little more open than our world championships, which happens on every other year. So international cup is every two years and world championships on the, on the off years and um, world championships is only for our elite, um, our elite athletes from around the world. Um, international cup is a little more open. So it's not only elite divisions, but also B divisions and A divisions as well. So, um, so it's kind of, you kind of see the different scope of the sport as well. Kind of hung up on the three baton idea. So are you just holding, <laughs> are you only ever holding one at a time or do you got three going at any given point? No, you have three going for oh the whole, gosh. not for the whole routine. That's yes, a lot of pressure. Yeah, so it does. It is. It's a lot of pressure with three in the air. It's, an, it's enough with one. Um, but uh, yeah, this this event um, has been around in the, in the states for a, for a much longer time than we've had it in Canada. You know, I think um, baton twirling. When people think of baton, they usually think of the majorettes. Um, usually think of the athlete who is leading the marching band, and and that is still a, a really prominent part, not just of uh, the football culture in the States, but just um, of the sport culture in the U S. Um, but uh, as you know, and because of that, you know, you have to be able to do lots of different tricks and that's where you'll see um, athletes do fire baton, for example, and um, uh, some different, uh, different things that we'll do on a football field outside. So, um, so I think, you know, because of that, they're a little more advanced than we are in terms of the three baton event. Um, but it started at International Cup, I believe, in 2005 was the first time it started there. So um, since then, we've been um, catching up. But our, our elite athletes are amazing at three baton. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's really exciting to watch that. All right. So if people want to come check this out this weekend, you mentioned it's at Investors Group Athletic Center. Uh, what do they have to do if they want to come yeah. watch? Um, it's free, absolutely free to the public to come and watch. Um, you, can just, you can just come in, uh, you know, enter through the third floor. Um, of, uh, of Investors Group Athletic Center. And um, we're there. Competition starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday with the preliminary rounds of the three baton, two baton, solo, artistic twirl, artistic pair and group events. And that will last all day, probably till about 6 o'clock at night or 7 o'clock at night. And then um, Sunday is the final round of, um, of all those events as well. And then our awards presentation is, um, we'll start at about 6.45, 6.30 on Sunday night. Um, and we also have opening ceremonies that are on Friday evening, starting at 6.30 for about an hour. Um, and it's totally open to the public. You can just come and um, experience our sport and really see um, our Manitoba athletes as well, really cheering on our Manitoba athletes who are, are really all working to, to get a spot on Team Canada. Well, Alicia, I appreciate your time today and uh, best of luck this weekend. Have fun. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?